Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast, episode 60. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Dr. David Collum. He's professor of chemistry at Cornell University in the United States. He writes a yearly economic review, which is highly entertaining, witty, and very insightful. It's published every year at peakprosperity.com. Just to advise, there was some static on the line in the first 30 seconds, but we managed to sort it out. It's absolutely superb to have you on the show. Welcome, David. Hey, it's glad to be on it. Hi, guys. Glad to talk to you again, Tim. Hi, Dave. How's it going? Good. So, Dave, could you tell us a bit about how you got involved in the financial markets? What was your journey for people who don't know you? Well, it starts, I mean, it really started as a kid. My dad taught me a bunch of stuff. I thought I was going to go to Wall Street. Then I didn't. Went off to become an organic chemist eventually. Uh, As a boomer, I accrued enough money. I started paying attention, which is just like every other boomer, and realized that, you know, retirement's eventually coming. Um, I was a raging bull in the 90s, did really well, and then started to get the heebie-jeebies about the markets and uh, and buy. By the the end of 98, I was starting to work my way towards the door, and by mid-99, I had exited uh, 100%. And the part that I have vague on, I I went very strongly long gold when when, uh, the NASDAQ was still roaring. And I was buying gold at 290 and then 280 and then 270. And then I finally howled in pain and said, look, I can't buy any more of this stuff. And then, then about a year later, I, it bottomed. And, and then since then, made a lot of energy, but gave it all back. Um, not all of it, but a lot of it. Um, and, uh, and I get to the prize. I'm kind of a perma bear at this point. Um, been, been so for quite a while. So I'm just waiting for the next um, fire sale. So let's get into the psychology of this a little bit. I mean, you were buying gold as the market was falling and as the Nasdaq was roaring. I mean, how much of a contrarian can you be to do something like that? Who taught you to do that? Or was it, is this just a natural thing for you? Well, I've always been kind of a contrarian. The operative word is kind of a nutball. And even, <laughs> even, even scientifically, I'm kind of a contrarian where, where I, I, I several times abandoned a field that I was um, fairly firmly entrenched in and then, and then moved on. Um, and so I, I, I don't like crowds. And, and, and I, I started doing math on things like uh, the dot-coms and said, if these guys grow earnings, you know, 20% a year, they'll be at fair value in 20 years. You know, and I realized, wait a minute, that's not going to work. And then I started to read, you know, the dusty archives and it said, you know, when valuations get up here, you, you, you never win. And so I remember talking to my dad one time and I, I told him I was like torn and we're going back and forth and he's kind of not agnostic. And then and then I'm, I used the fear of missing out argument. I said, I have this fear of missing out. And he says, oh, that's greedy. Uh-huh. And that, that was kind of a turning point for me. I said, OK, so so I kind of created in my own head the the uh, the idea that Jim Grant puts forward. He says, you know, when Mr. Market calls, you don't have to answer. So I just decided to take it to the sidelines. Right. And, but, uh, but taking it to the sidelines was buying gold. What what was it about gold then? I mean, because you, you, you made a very accurate call about the kind of the valuations of the NASDAQ stocks and the fact that they were more than frothy at that point. But how did you 
how did you get the impression that gold might be something to go into? Well, so, so the guys who made the most sense to me about the markets being out of whack were also talking about gold. Right. And so in some sense, I just pigtailed on, ponytailed on that, uh, whatever the phrase is. I, I yeah. hung on that one. And, and then uh, – uh, it, it that was excruciating, actually. Though that was that was painful, and I, I told no one. It was like admitting you're a pedophile or something. <laughs> and uh, and 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 then it turned. And I actually remember I the gold bugs who who've been in the game longer than this market, this bull market. Remember this too. So the Bank of England, whenever gold would start to run, the Bank of England would announce they were going to sell it, and the gold would mm. get get smashed. And then they they it would start to get some legs, and then they'd sell it, and it would get smashed again. And and I remember one time uh, they announced they were going to sell it, and 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 gold went up. And I said, "Holy cow! What was that all about?" Right? That was a little flicker. And then they the day they sold it, the, the gold went up again. I said, "Oh, something's changed." I did a radio interview, and the guys thought I was nuts. I said, "No, something's changed. There's something different here." And that that really was the sort of the O one low, right? Right at that moment, gold yeah. stopped, started acting better. Yeah, I, I remember that very well actually, because I was working in the dealing room at NatWest Markets, and I became bullish on gold for the for the wrong reasons actually, because I thought because of the euro, it would cause massive inflation and therefore you'd see gold go up. And everybody just like, I know how you feel because everybody laughed at me at the time. They were literally showing me charts of how gold was collapsing and, you know, and I was like, I don't, personally, I don't care if people don't agree with me. It really doesn't bother me at all because my only arbiter is the market. And I took that actually as a sign that we were at maximum pessimism and it could really only go one way. But I remember that also that period, it did lurch lower in a very aggressive way. And it, was, it wasn't it was particularly nice. And I do remember thinking, hang on a minute, this has got a bottom soon, otherwise... 256, it, right, 256. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I remember around two, the 252, 256 area, depending on the chart that you look at. And then that was it, it never looked back. And, and actually what was very interesting, um, and this is something I talked to, like, because I do financial education and something I talked to my students about is, you know, even though the price of gold from that point um, started to go up, nobody changed their view. And it, you know, I was working for Lloyd's in 2007 in their, in their dealing room. And, you know, they still hadn't, nobody changed their view on gold. They were still massively bearish, even though around that time it was $650. And they just, everybody just thought forward projections were all negative. And it wasn't until 2011 that they actually changed their view and, it, and the whole world went bullish. And of course, we know what happened then. What happened? Yeah. So so I, I remember some funny stories. I remember talking to friends when the NASDAQ was over 5,000 and telling them the NASDAQ would get to triple digits. They laughed at me. And that was almost the top right there at, the, at that moment. Wow. Um, I remember when I was chatting with guys, when the chat boards were first starting to get going. And so you guys might know Doug Noland and, and the Prudent Bear Fund. Prudent, Prudent, Prudent Bear, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were chatting. And, and I, I remember when um, when gold, we, everyone kept saying, well, you know, if it gets over 330, I'm selling, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I remember I said no I don't think I'm going to sell guys and then it, the gold was at 457 and one of the ways I used to buy was I had a, a a deal with the local coin dealer and said look if you get any gold and I'll I'll pay cash for it and he would get a couple ounces I'd go to the bank and get cash and I'd buy his gold and at 457 an ounce 
I was still buying. And this was just kind of on the side. This is not the way to buy big gold. But you, you buy ounces at a time. It adds up after a while. And, and it was a 457. And he says, uh, he says, don't you think this is a top? He knew I was going to buy it, so he didn't have to sell it to me. So don't you think this is a top? Well, even the gold dealer thought that. That's incredible. The, the, the gold dealer. Yeah. And I said, well, how many people are buying gold from you right now? And he says, three. And I said, yeah. And the other two I sent to you, didn't I? <laughs> and, and, and he said, yeah. And I said, does that sound like a mania to you? And yeah. uh, and he said, "Well, that's a good point." And so, so then we all got our ass kicked. I know one guy. I know he liquidated at nineteen hundred. Steve Hankey, the economist, because I met up with him at Hopkins one day, and the gold had just sort of tipped to, to around nineteen hundred, and he said he, he just exited. Wow. And, when, when, and, when you when, when you say liquidated, does that mean personally or liquidated personally. as well? He's not a money manager. He's a professor of economics at Hopkins. And he's, he told me he got out. He sent me his portfolio in an Excel spreadsheet. It is the weirdest currency trading mess you ever saw. This guy is a currency expert. And and I look, and he's, we're talking about swaps and you name it from weird countries. And, but in any event, he had exited gold. He had, and I'm going, and he, I, right on the money at the top. So that guy gets the credit. Steve's kind of a friend. So in any event, so gold then got its ass kicked for reasons that are unclear to me. Um, right. th- th- there's some weird, you know, strange things where, you know, Grant Williams pointed out that right when the Germans started repatriating it, gold got tanked. And, and there's some odd, odd correlation. So you could argue there's geopolitical shenanigans going on. For my money, the strangest sort of counterintuitive moving gold in history, I in, at least in my lifetime, or at least my experience in the markets, was when you had the Cypriot bail-in. And they got that, that's right. Out. That's right. And and uh, and and so so then it, it, it really called a big correction. It sort of I, I guess it got into the 1000 zone somewhere a little bit. I don't remember because I was in fetal position. And, uh, <laughs> and and then gold seemed to stabilize for a few years at twelve hundred. And so I bought a How do you how do you say this? A couple of annual salaries more worth of gold. Wow. Uh, in, in one fell swoop, actually, from a from one of Bill Fleckenstein's suppliers. And I just sent her a big bank transfer and, and bought probably two salary equivalents of gold in the 1200s, too. What was it about gold that gave you this conviction? Why gold and not uh, bonds or stocks or just money in the bank or another currency? What was it about gold that gave you that, that led you to sort of back your conviction so strongly? Well, well, I, I don't trust inflation, right? To me, inflation is the most disastrous thing out there. So, and I don't. Gold doesn't get crushed in deflation either. And so, so it seemed like it was a. The, the metaphor I use is that you, you can move dirt with a shovel and with a bulldozer, and you can inflation hedge with equities and with gold. But you shouldn't confuse the two, right? Gold and bulldozers are for moving big quantities. And so if you want to hedge against catastrophic inflation, gold gold's going to win in equities or not. Um, we never got the inflation, not yet. Never's a long time, right? This is an infinite loop we're in. But um, but I, I'm convinced that the central bankers are so incompetent that they that they're going to blow this one. Uh, my question to you guys: Can we have a generic garden variety average recession or not from this point? Well, I I, I would say it seems to be completely impossible on the basis that if you look at the mess we got into in 2007, 2008, and the policy response ever since. You know, to to all the old hands in the market, it none of this makes any sense whatsoever. And 
at some point it all has to be corrected and it's whether it's all going to happen in one big move or whether it's going to be some kind of deflationary implosion is it, it's difficult to know but it how how on earth can you have a system whereby the market is constantly supported and interest rates are at you know 5000 year lows or whatever they are and that not have some bearing on on the future because the markets just don't work like that they they you you can't have some individual or some single body controlling it and eventually they will get found out now how long eventually is who knows but that's well, what's but, coming but the, the next recession right you say eventually how long i don't know but we do know that recessions don't wait around centuries right oh yeah yeah and, certainly and so i think the next recession has to be a bad one i think we all agree on that i remember talking to tim in in vegas i think we were in in a meeting together and and uh, he said i was too bearish and that i was over and um, by the way that's coming from me <laughs> that, yes. that's right that's right. That's right. That's scary, actually. And um, and and I just I, I, I believe that 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 to try to what's that? The market becomes a stock picker's market. When you hear people on TV saying that it's time to head for the hills. Right. When they say it's a stock picker's market, it means that there's nothing worth buying. But they they can't quite say that. Mm. And so uh, and so I'm just comfortably sitting on laddered treasuries and gold. And I'm I'm fairly confident now that we're going to get an opportunity in the next. Geez, if I had to guess, I'd say you know next calendar year uh, we're going to start to see some pain. But real corrections take years, right? Yeah, they, I mean they, look, they're not they're not V bounces. They're not that that, that V bounce is a, is fictional in my opinion. I mean, my, my discipline is technical, so I, I look at the uh, I looked at the topping patterns in two thousand and six, going into two thousand and seven, and you had all the banking stocks that was topping out, all the property stocks that were topping out, and that gave me the steer that the markets were going to tank. And knowing how many people anecdotally had sort of bought properties and and we're obviously just getting rich on a one-way market. You just knew this is going to be big. And it was it was the same as the NASDAQ, obviously. You know, there were, there were so many signs that that was a bubble. Um, now, with, with where we are now, you've had the tech boom pretty much dragging everything up. But we're in a position where it's... The, the the charts to me are now topping out. So I'm seeing some very real signs that we're in a topping process. We've just seen Tesla go through this topping process, which took a took a little while, but look at how it's gone down the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's just just fallen off. You know, it's fallen out of bed and down the stairs, as we say. And so yeah, and the bond interest rates are plummeting, and and Deutsche Bank is doing laps around the drain. Right there's there's some real indicators here, but yeah. but the. The point is, I think once this once this thing starts, it really is going to cascade, and the central bankers, I think, are going to be forced to to just step back and let it finish. Really, I mean, do, do you think that's what they'll do? Because they seem to well, sort of react to everything in the moment. Right, they'll start dropping rates, but what good will that do? Right, that's not going to do anything. Right, that way, already, if, if 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 you're not getting a mortgage now, are you going to get a mortgage with rates lower? I, I don't think so. And so, 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 and and then. Um, the stunning, stunning numbers on corporate debt. This, this thing's going to be a corporate debt collapse, and 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 therefore, by definition, it's got to be an equity collapse, right? The equities can't possibly survive a corporate debt collapse. Yeah, the the, the investor and uh, and and owner of the Master Investor website uh, is a guy called Jim Mellon, a very smart guy, very smart investor, 
And he made the point quite some time ago that a lot of American companies were borrowing at low interest rates in order to kind of buy back their stocks, basically. So you have a situation where if you've got people at the top of companies who are paid on the basis of their quarterly earnings, then there's a desire to almost game the system by borrowing money by at very low rates and then just pumping up your stock price. And obviously that's going to improve your stock options and you're going to make money out of it. And and that's where I think the economies uh, or the, the incentives have kind of gone wrong a little bit. Because if your only incentive at the top is just your stock price at all costs, then it's going to cause problems. Now, if people have borrowed, and if that's that's correct, I guess it's, it's difficult to know whether this is absolutely spot on or whether it's just an assumption. But it's a fairly you know logical assumption that, that, that they would do that. And that's kind of what people do, isn't it? They try to make as much money as they can at the top. Then any rise in interest rates, any, any rise in corporate debt, it doesn't even have to be triggered by the Fed. It could just be literally triggered by market wobbles, um, is going to have a massive compounding effect. And I I tend to agree that I don't see how this could last much, you know, much. I don't think it's going to hold out for another two years. I think we're at least a year away from it and possibly less. Well, I think we've started. Um, the, the stunning stat, for your listeners that 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 I I didn't believe until I heard it a second time. I thought maybe I just misheard it was that 14% of the S&P can't pay their interest payments on their cash flow. This we're not talking about some small cap micro cap index. We're talking about the S&P 14%. That means oh, what funny. is it? That, that's 60 70 that's 75 companies that 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 can't pay their interest payments without taking out more debt. That's and, and, that, and, and that's and that's with interest rates at all time historic low. Right, and so so and then supposedly right above that crowd is another wad of companies. I, I can't remember the number, but huge number of companies that are waiting for a debt downgrade. They're just waiting for it to to be downgraded to junk, and then the forced selling on those is the the mandated the now not just forced selling out of fear, but the the forced selling out of uh, 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 statutorily speaking, the forced selling is going to be unbelievable. One needs to do some research here and to find out which co- these which of these companies are uh, most at risk. I suppose we could just look through all the stocks and see the ones that are struggling the most here. But are there any names that 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 you know leap out at you? You know, I don't short sell, so I don't care. What right. I what I'm what I'm confident is, and and right now the price earnings ratio, it's a very dubious metric. Um, every if you look at every valuation model, we're roughly 2x overvalued. <clears throat> if you look at corporate profit margins, we're 2x over the norm. And so so, so everything is metastably nuts. And so, so I, I don't see how any company comes out looking good at the end of this. So, so for those of us whose most bearish position is to just run to the sidelines and watch from way up out of the splash zone, that's where I'm sitting. If you want to short companies, there's pro- there's probably lists of names out there. Um, but I don't even pay attention because I know if 14% of the S&P is doomed, then the S&P is doomed. Wow. Dave, Dave how, did you, how did you get to, um, for, for people who are unaware, for listeners who are unaware, there are two. I'd say there are two documents published every year that are just like must read. That are magisterial in their yeah. spread. One of them is Incrementums in Gold We Trust, 
right? Is, this, this is a new one that's just come out in the last uh, week. Ronald and the just sent it to me, yeah. I'll send it to you if you, if you haven't seen no, it. No, Ron, Ronald Stoffelly sends it to me. I, oh, okay. Because yeah, that's just superb, superb. And we had Ronnie on uh, on the show uh, last year. Uh, but the other is your year in review. Um, and uh, in my entire career, I've never seen or read anything quite like it. And I mean that in a, in a, in a, in a very encouraging sense. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, it was ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but it, how, how did you, how, you know, what, because, again, for, for people who are unfamiliar, you're a professor of chemistry and chemical biology at Cornell. With, with the, the greatest respect, WTF? Yeah, right. Um, I, 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 it turns out my greatest achievement in high school was that I was elected class clown. And, 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 and somehow as I've gotten older and gotten, gotten more inclined to write, I, I really love writing. Um, and then what happens is, is I get to bring that wise assery to the, to the storyline. And so what I try to do is mix together, you know, the plot of what happened this year with, with, and, you know, so it, the reason I love writing it at some level is because as I go through the day, Someone I'll be watching TV or something. My wife will have something on or I'll read some article and there will be some way that someone insulted someone that was so effective. And I and I will write that down. And, and so so so, so I, as I go through my life now, instead of it going by me like this wave of events that, that to be lost forever, I write them down and then I go, OK, I can use that one on Powell. Right. right. <laughs> and and so, so you're, you're, you're basically collecting zingers. Is that that's zingers? Yeah. 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 You you get this because your book it has more quotes than text. Oh, Tim I mean, loves his quotes. <clears throat> yeah. As I said to Tim, I said, you love your quotes. He said, if one's good, 18's better. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I, I could be a central banker with that kind of philosophy about the world. You mean the bullshit? I, I know. Um, <laughs> so. I can see a new career vista opening up to me like yeah, a glorious. Let's not go there. Let's not go you have there. to lie better. Um, <laughs> and uh, by the way, I just read an article an hour ago that basically said that Manukin um, left his wife long enough to um, to uh, to call a meeting of the some new variant of the plunge protection team. I think it's the plunge give it up team. Um, to, to discuss the risk in the markets. And I, I find it so appalling because because these guys are the problem and, and they're, they're panicking. I guess it's because they know they're the problem. Um, and they're now panicking because they can see that the credit market's falling apart. And, and I think that's what happened in, in late 18. I thought they just panicked over the the the, the, the market's correcting 16%. I go, you guys are wimps, right? You, you can't panic over 16% after such a big run. But, but, but it, it was clear also that somewhere underneath the surface, the leveraged loan market was going to hell. The, the, the junk bond market was going to hell. And, 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 and what I was told is that for about 40 or 50 days in a row, the whole thing had seized up. And, and so they panicked over that. And, and I think they're still panicking because I think – uh, they can't stop it. So if you could give us a, a kind of insight into how you see this playing out, I mean, of course, but we could have a, we could have a broad brush guess of how the markets might unfold from here. What, what would you expect to happen? So you expect obviously a correction in the stock market. That's kind of a given really. Um, how do you think the bond markets, the, the treasury bond market would respond? 
Oh, I don't know about Treasury because that's the 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 wild card that always seems to end up being the the go to safe haven. Um, the the why I'll tell you what would be nuts. I'll tell you I, what would be crazy is is if uh, is if the if the bond market uh, can't go can't go up, bonds up, interest rates down go up um, mm-hmm. because they have to defend the currency against an inflation. So if we get if we get a runaway inflation and it it could happen, it can come on very quickly, then all of a sudden you've got a collapse in the bond market, you have a collapse in the stock market all simultaneously. Yeah. And and that's the nightmare scenario. And next thing you know, you people start eating entrails and you'll start hearing rumors of cannibalism in Detroit and 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 it that's when it goes really bad. And and you know, the queen will start barking like a dog and you know, it's just everything will go wrong. So do you, you look at gold? Do you also have any opinion on Bitcoin or would you just stay away from it? You know, I, I root for the Bitcoin team to the extent that we're both rooting against the same opponent, um, and that is central bankers. Uh, I I have several sort of beliefs that there's fatal flaws in the Bitcoin story. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fatal flaw is that they... I think for Bitcoin to have to succeed uh, in a big way. Now, I think Bitcoin could go with some background noise, sort of like SNH green stamps or, you know, who knows what. Um, but but I, for, for Bitcoin to become the global currency requires that they basically defeat every sovereign state because the sovereign states all agree that they want sovereign currencies to run the world. Right. And so, so what if you were a sovereign state? What would you do? Well, the first thing you would do is you'd start finding a way to step all over Bitcoin. You can do it through taxation. You can make it impossible to do a transaction without having to declare taxation. The best thing I think would be to outlaw it. Right. And and the way what happens and the Bitcoin guys all you know you know put their fist in the air and say you know but that's the beauty of Bitcoin you can't outlaw it because it's blockchain and blah 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 and I go how many people are going to buy groceries with Bitcoin if it's illegal? Yeah, yeah, that's that's um, that's always been a massive stumbling block. It's it's fair enough saying that it's decentralized and nobody controls it, but. There is a big problem. If the government basically says, look, you're going to go to prison if you if you trade in this stuff, you'd be pretty stupid to trade in this stuff. And, you know, they did it with gold, uh, didn't they, in the 30s when they made it illegal and you had to hand in your gold. And so people don't realize that when they don't want something, it ain't going to happen. But, you know, I I, I have a lot of sympathy for Bitcoin. I, I, right. I, I agree with the the principles of it because it's it's trying to – uh, exist in a way that is not manipulated by any single party in order to game any system. So the the philosophy is there, but whether whether you'll be able to to actually sort of play it, I mean, you can play the big swings in the market, which are fantastic if you're a trader, but um, whether it'll actually survive in this form is is, is very unclear. And it seems it seems like the go- the most obvious way forward is that the government's just introduce their own like they just have like a like a parallel currency <laughs> they already did it's the dollar and the euro <laughs> yeah yeah but they, I mean, they yeah could they not have like some form of uh, they could have some form of uh you know cryptocurrency because let's face it if you create a cryptocurrency one of the best things about it is that you can manage every single transaction you can if i give you you know 50 quid or 50 dollars or whatever 
there's no way that anybody on earth can know that that's happened. But if somebody sends you, sends you, you know, a percentage of a cryptocurrency trade, unless everything's encrypted, which obviously it can be, but unless it's encrypted, then every transaction is completely monitored. And so that seems like something that the governments would, would absolutely embrace because it makes, makes life a lot easier for them. Well, it's pretty clear. Um, I think it was two years ago that everyone came out of, out of Davos, the Davos crowd, right? There's a there's a bunch that's that's forgettable, and uh, came out and and with ready to pronounce the end of a cash based society. So to me, this is a huge issue. This is an enormous issue that if they get rid of cash, then everything you own is necessarily in the bank, and then they can do anything they want. And they always talk about you know getting rid of drug cartels and stuff like that. Which by the way, they could get rid of drug cartels now if they wanted, but but they don't want to do that either. Um, and and so um, and so if 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 our money's in the bank and usually around paragraph seven or eight of of the article they say oh and by the way it would also make monetary policy easier and so a capitalist society allows them to drive interest rates negative now we have what ten trillion dollars of negative rates right if if that's not a sign that we've completely and utterly lost our minds. I don't know what is, but they're very, very marginally negative because they can't go deeply negative because cash, like people will just go to the bank and take their money out as cash and say, screw that, I'll get a 0% return on cash. Now, if they go to a cashless society, now they can go deeply negative. And they talk about this like it's a good thing. And I'm going, okay, so you want a committee of you know moronic macroeconomists deciding the interest rates for all of us with no escape route. And, and, and then they talk about a possibility of having a, a society with cash, but in which the cash depreciates in, in a formal way, like your cash has a timestamp. And so you use your $100 bill and it scans through the machine. The machine says, well, this $100 bill is two years old, so it's actually only worth 96 cents. No way. Yes no way. way. They're oh talking about this, right? So here you would have the situation where you don't, your cash is going to hell. The interest rates are 5% negative. And the, the metaphor I keep using is hanging Mussolini by his goddamn ankles. Wow. I, I, if, if, if we don't pick up our guns and start blowing these people's heads off at some point, we've we've lost this. This will be storm the Bastille, hang them, hang them from the, you know, in the, in the town square, because we will have lost if we let them do that to us. Tim. Well, follow that. I was um, like, yeah. I mean, I, there, there is a there's a, a viewpoint to say, well, central banks aren't aren't uh, aren't required, and there's and there's that view, which is a very extreme view. Um, but they, they they openly talk about this, though. This is not a this is not a hypothesis from the internet, except for the fact that the central bank posts on the internet. They, these are articles coming out of the central banks. Incredible, incredible. I've not, I've not heard of that. I think what this is showing is it, it's just, it's the whole sort of you know the frog in the you know pot. The, the the pot that the, the temperature's been slowly raised over such an extended period of time now that people are kind of sort of inured to just about anything happening that it's like oh what six impossible things do we have to believe today before breakfast like I inflation mean, is good there's one yeah. Number one, inflation is good. Oh, we love inflation. Don't you guys love it when your currency goes to crap right in front of your eyes? Right? No. Yeah, and it's 
it's inflation at all costs, which is which is the problem. It's it's that they're not really looking at what the costs are, and I mean, how can you manage a complex system like an economy by just following one metric? It just doesn't make any sense at all. Right. I mean, this is a, this is a complex system, and you have many factors that you just because you've got inflation at a certain level it doesn't mean you've achieved anything really right. so, so so dave a quick word association round if you're willing to to play you let her rip firstly trump you can I'm, have more I'm, than a word you can you can I'm, have full sentences if you want a rogue a renegade i'm rooting for him yeah uh brexit um um chaos for a while dot 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 you want me to follow up with that? Yeah, if you wouldn't mind. I think you'll figure it out. So chaos for a while, basically. Yeah, I think the channel's going to be a mess. <laughs> but do you actually believe that it will happen? Because some people don't. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't no. know. You know, I'm still trying to figure out why you guys are throwing milkshakes on each other over there. So um, so it's, it's a complex world that you live in there. Well, we don't have um, access to machine guns the way you guys do. So, uh, Brett, you know... Milkshakes are a way of dealing with complex and uh, you know, ha- hate crime. Yeah, well, if someone brings the uh, the British the British uh, uh, the British currency of milkshakes to the United States, they might die from some lead poisoning over here. I'll tell you that much. So, was was that the complete list, Tim? Keep going. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, Austrian economics. Uh, I like Austrian business cycle theory, economics a little bit less. Um, I think we've already covered, well, actually, let's go back to anyway, bonds. Um, corporate bonds collapse. Um, some sovereign bonds collapse. Treasury probably does okay unless inflation shows up. I, I should add that this uh, podcast is being sponsored by BlackRock, by the way, for any uh, listeners. Uh, um, BlackRock <laughs> goes down the toilet. <laughs> uh, ETFs. Uh, they'll burn in hell. Okay. Uh so get off the get off the fence. Uh, get off the fence, Dave. Uh, benchmarking. Benchmarking. No opinion. Okay. Uh, uh, AI could be important. Don't know how to play it. Okay. Uh, social media. Uh, when I say when I say social media, I primarily mean Twitter. By the way, because I think Facebook's a waste of time. And Twitter's not. <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a good point, well made. But uh, I, uh, to my dying day, I will you know I will have probably Twitter engraved on my heart because. There's right. there's a there's a guy you may not know, but Paul Paul will know uh, the, the the significance of this guy, uh, Charlie Brooker. Yeah. And Charlie Charlie Brooker over here is a kind of media. Well, you describe him, Paul. Uh, he he's the writer of a fantastic Netflix series. Well, actually, it's on Netflix, but it was for Channel Four, I think, originally. Black Mirror. If you haven't seen any of uh, Black Mirror on Netflix, I suggest you just watch some. And you, you see I haven't. Can- Okay, it's absolutely awesome. I mean, because I, I I would I would describe I would describe him as a visionary. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll reach out and get some details on this. Yeah. One. I mean, basically, what he's done is extrapolated some of the technology that we have now, and some of it is 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 already coming into being, um, and just written some absolutely brilliant episodes. Like, for example, uh, one where everything that you see is recorded, and and how that that sort of affects people in this relationship because like insurance companies can come around to see you and, and see what you've seen in order to solve a, solve another incident and that related to something else i mean it was it's such a brilliant marriage of of technology and imagination but it's also 
in a world that we know we're heading towards with AI and you know automated driverless so, cars and all that stuff. Um, you, you can you can sort of feel we're about we could be about five or ten years away from some of this stuff, which works is what makes it so frightening. Have you seen the DARPA robotics? Uh, have you seen those dogs where where they? Oh, oh yeah 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 uh, Boston Dynamics. Boston Dynamics, yeah. You know who they're owned by? You know who owns them now? No. You know you're gonna love this. Google. Really? No, yeah. I didn't know that. Scare oh the my crap God. out of you. Those well, dogs look like they could eat you fast, don't they? Well, there's an episode of of uh, of Black Mirror uh, called, I think it's called Metalhead, and this woman's basically on the run from the, these these robots. And it was before they existed that he wrote this, and it's just amazing. The reason I mentioned Charlie Brooker is that he described Twitter as, as the, the whole sort of environment of Twitter is like a pub just before closing time where you don't know if chairs are suddenly going to start getting thrown. So in other words, it's on the whole thing is on a, a, a hair trigger of this could all kick off at any moment. And that's what I love about it. Oh, yeah. So, 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 so as I was starting to think of the free association, uh, to me, Twitter, Twitter and social media are somewhere between democracy's last hope and totalitarianism. And I don't know which way it's going to go. And, and so it seems to me that it's possible it will be the source, the foundation upon which the people sort of rise up and say enough is enough. But the other possibility is, is that we're all getting our chain jerked. I've read a couple of books that say we're all getting our chain jerked and this is over. I, by the way, happen to see an article today that says you want to get a visa in the United States, you got to turn over your your search history. Wow. And I and I read you have to you have to also give over your uh, social media, your handle, right. your Twitter handle. Right. And and so that's totalitarianism. Right. And for some goddamn reason today, I've been fighting with people. I, I don't know why lately I've kind of I'm getting kind of grumpy or something, but I've been fighting over some of these these social issues. And what, what I don't understand um, is the polarization of society. I've been trying to understand that with everything I got. And I'm obviously profoundly biased, but using U.S. version of right and left, to me, the right looks pretty normal. And the left looks like they've lost their minds. And, and so now you have these what used to be very reasonable people saying that it's OK to punch people in the face who you disagree with. When, when was that a left wing concept? Right. Well, it was, did, a left wing, it was a left wing concept under under Stalin. Well, that's right. But in our country, the lefties were 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 the sort of liberal minded, you know, you utopian, you know, save the whales kind of people. Yeah. And and now they've turned into this intolerant group of crazies. And the rights are just a bunch of bubbas, right? They're just a bunch of guys who, you know, chew tobacco and, you know, work on farms and who, who knows what. But the right looks relatively normal to me. In term normal not meaning normal, but meaning the way they've always been. And the left looks like they've lost their minds. And it at times to the day that Hillary lost the election and Trump won it. I mean, th th this is a very, a very sensitive issue here. I'd say to the extent that, um, I mean, we clearly we we talk about Brexit a lot uh, on the show. Uh, I think it would be fair to say that both Paul and I are Brexiteers to a greater or lesser extent. Right. But the 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 critical issue, I think, I'm, I'll just see if I can try and find the 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 quote in question. Um, you see. It, Austria just booted its government out. Austria just did the other day. But everything's in the mix now. Everything's up in the air. So there's a guy called called Tim Dawson who I follow on on Twitter, and he's a well, he self-described writer and journalist. But this is a pinned tweet 
So this is at Tim underscore R underscore Dawson, D-A-W-S-O-N. We can stick it in the show notes. And this is a pin tweet. The root cause of our national discontent is simple. We had a referendum, but the losing side refuses to honor it. We are therefore stuck in a political groundhog day, forced to replay the same exhausting, exhausted arguments over and over again. Two years on, tempers are fraying. And that's exactly the, I mean, I, I kudos to, to Tim for, for that, because he's, he's nailed, I think, nailed the, the issue, at least in the UK, that democracy requires the principle of loser's consent. We no longer operate with that principle. So in other words, the, you know, the, uh, against all of the odds, leave one, the referendum in June 2016, but remain, or not so much remain, but Romaniacs or sort of continuity remain or Ramonas refuse to accept the outcome. And that is a travesty. Well, that's what's happened in our election, right? So, so, so Trump wins, and and to to I'll tell you what was uplifting. On the one hand, it was just staggering. I'm going, holy cow! I didn't think he could actually win. Um, but but it was uplifting to the extent that we had been shoved r- rancid candidates by both parties for decades, and 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 finally the people said, you know what? We're going to elect our own this time, and they did. And so in some sense, it should be kind of a bipartisan note to the two parties. Don't screw up like you just did. You gave us bad choices and we took control. And, and so then what happened, though, is then, then the, the left lost their minds and they created this whole Russia collusion story, which is a bad hoax, best I can tell. And they're, they're, they, they just everything is just hateful, hateful. I've had people rip at me for being a Trump supporter. I'm, I'm, I'm not an enthusiastic Trump supporter. All I know is that Hillary's a wretched soul. She's a she's a she's a sociopathic piece of garbage. And and <laughs> and, and, and so so. They said, well, yeah, you gave me a choice. If, if, by the way, if you'd let Bernie, I could have voted for Bernie. As insane as that sounds, I could have found a way to vote for Bernie because they would have neutered him. They would have gelded the guy, and and uh, and and he would have uh, he wouldn't have done damage probably. And but they're not going to let him in there this time either. Uh, there's one Democratic candidate I could vote for. Her name is Tulsi Gabbard, and, and they won't let her near the White House. And and I don't think any of these guys actually want to win the primaries because I don't think they want to go against Trump. I want I think they want to put up a good showing so that they're the front runner in 2024. No one wants to do no one wants to do battle with Trump. It's 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 you'll come out of it looking like he came out of a gladiator's arena. So and and this is happening all over the world, right? This is you know Arab Spring slash Britain Spring slash American Spring. It's everywhere. I recently bought a book by a guy called Bill Eddy, and it's about basically five types of people who can ruin your life. And uh, he, <laughs> he, one of the types I think we're sort of zeroing in on now, we're sort of circling like sort of like hungry sharks, narcissistic, high conflict personalities. Who are we so, talking about? <laughs> well, well, well you, 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 you mentioned Hillary. I would say basically nearly everybody in our current parliament. Right. Well, so I've read a few books on sociopathy and and, and the Clintons formed an alliance. They're both complete textbook chapters. They're chapters in the textbook. 
They, they formed an alliance and they, they both basically exploited each other to get what they wanted, except Hillary fell short. Bill's a very effective sociopath, but he couldn't keep his predatory sexual habits under control. And Hillary was a little too transparently sociopathic was her problem. So, so you, you, she couldn't hide the fact that she really is a mean-spirited witch. And, and so that, that ultimately she lost because she was really unlikable and she had a tin ear. She, she would say things, you go, you know, Hillary, if you're lying all the time, you got to keep your story straight. Right. And um, and uh, so, so, you know, it's been a while since we had a president who was he actually sense was a leader. Um, I'd say George Bush senior was OK. I think he was, you know, he got us into a war, but he got us off very quickly. Any, anybody who can vomit into the lap of a Japanese uh, prime minister gets gets my vote, I think. And that, that was also a good one. Um, you know, <laughs> I take Jimmy. We'd all love Jimmy Carter at this point, even though he was considered pathetic at the time. But people, oh, God, give me Jimmy Carter. And we, he seemed honest. Right. I think Reagan would get elected in a heartbeat now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a joke I'm not going to repeat now because I'm going to massacre it and I'm going to suck all the humor out of it. But there's a great Reagan uh, joke about life under communist Russia and somebody buying a car. It's one of the funniest things I've ever heard. You know, he, he was, wasn't just a politician. He was an absolutely fantastic orator. So he was giving a speech right after he'd been shot. And in this huge auditorium, there was a loud cracking noise and without even breaking stride. A balloon, he, a balloon, a balloon. A balloon and he, and he, and he, he looks up from the podium. He says, you missed me. <laughs> <laughs> And so in the left hates the fact that he was revered. Oh, the left can't stand that. That when, when we spent like five days mourning about Reagan's death, like he was Princess Di or something, that drove him crazy. So, so it's been a long time since we had good politicians. Now you've got politicians. We've got enough. By the way, watch this. Go search Justice Democrats. Justice Democrats. There's a there's a takeover going on, a coup d'etat of the Democratic Party. And, and most people don't understand it. Politico picked up on it. Some guy sitting in his dining room table did a brilliant job of presenting it, where that what they're doing is, is this, this powerful, super ultra left-wing progressive group is knocking off Democrats who are in power at the primary level. So AOC got elected to Congress, and became the mouthpiece of Congress, winning 15,000 votes in a, in a primary. And the way they did it is they found, they found Democratic districts where you couldn't possibly lose if you were a Democrat, but which the Democratic running, the person who'd been in power for years, was hated. And they went and knocked them all off. So AOC, that Omar, what's her name? The the uh, the, the, the Peach the Mofo guy, woman. Uh, there's about four of the new freshman Democrats who were recruited to come in and knock out Democrats at the primary level with big money backing them. It seems to me that AOC only exists to make Greater Thunberg look good. <laughs> she makes everyone look good. At least she at, at least she's really smart. Um, <laughs> What a time to be! What a time to be alive, eh? I mean, I'm I'm minded. uh, We were talking about quotes earlier, and I I admit to being something of a quote whore. But there's a great H.L. Mencken line, which is, uh, which I'm sure you'll know, which is, uh, "Democracy is the theory that the common people know what they want and deserve to get it good and hard." 
I've heard that, but that, that's good. That's that's really and another, and another one. I'm like, we could go on all day. Every decent man is ashamed of the government he lives under. Oh, um, yeah. Where, where is our Mencken? Come at the day, come at well, the hour, come at the Well, here, here, here's the type O universal quote for you. A, a pithy phrase is not wisdom, Voltaire. <laughs> We, we may never actually good. revert to normal speech now. We might spend the entire rest of the podcast parrying quotes with each other. I know. A couple, couple, couple of idiot savants who can't actually get, get their own clothes on, who can cite quotes from memory for hours straight. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to let that rest. So I'm going I'm to finish this segment with, with my favorite, and I've used it before, but again, I'm a, a complete quote tart. I always forget the source of this one, but you may, you may know the guy in question. But it's the American lecturer, professor, who said, it used to be said that if you gave a million monkeys a million keyboards, you'd end up with the complete works of Shakespeare. Now, thanks to the internet, we know this is not the case. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. That's really good. So, 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 but I love Twitter, by the way. You asked a Twitter question. Twitter, Twitter's phenomenal because you can reach people that you wouldn't have had a clue how to reach. A- absolutely, 110%. I mean, yeah. so with that, with that in mind, because it, it's clearly more than one thing. I mean, I, I would say, I mean, I'm, I'm addicted to the thing and I should probably seek professional counseling. Right. But, but it's, it's more than one thing. It's not just a chat room. It's not just a news source. It's, it's, it's a networking device. It's all kinds of things. Um, if if you if you basically got to replace Jack Dorsey, what would you what would you change about Twitter for the for the public good? Oh well, I'd quit filtering out the bad boys and I'd let them stay. Um, I think I'm I'm not as critical. Uh, I you know I'd give Twitter I'd give Twitter a a twenty second edit capability. You literally you've got twenty seconds to fix that damn thing. Oh, that's that's a good idea actually. Mm. So it's a bit like sort of like having a big red button that says, "Did you really mean to say?" Like now, remember the bloody Microsoft paperclip that everybody fucking hated. Yeah, uh, yeah, like clippy. Clippy. Did you re- did you really want to send that? Do you really want to send this hate filled tweet, or do you want to just have a moment of calm reflection? Well, no, no, no. But there's even one. There, so I think I think this was at zero hedge, where in the comments section back in the old days, when it wasn't just a bunch of Nazis in the comment section, um, where you could post a comment, you look, you go, oops, and you had you had about 30 seconds to go in and edit, and then the edit command went away, and you lost your ability to edit. That would be a useful thing. Now, here would be the new sport. Put in a tweet, get people to respond, and then quickly edit the tweet to something else so that they'd say, oh, yeah, I love that, too. Right. And, 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 and it'd be like, it'd be gotcha. It'd be gotcha Twitter. It'd be fantastic, right? Sucking people into saying stuff and then, and then quickly flipping it. I guess I mean, that's why they don't do it, right? They, wouldn't, they, wouldn't one answer just be to have, the, you, have to, you have to post using a real name? But I guess from that, the reason that won't happen is because it's not as lucrative because you'll then, you'll, you'll smash the audience down to, to fragments. So it's, well, so, so, it's more so, lucrative okay. to have, to have anonymous uh, accounts on there. Well, so you guys, even you guys think my name's Dave Collum. It's amazing. Every, everyone, <laughs> everyone thought for it. I, I am actually Bernie Sanders. Um, <laughs> yeah, a real name would be fun. Oh, I'd also quit banging out the, I'd quit knocking the parody accounts away. They're some of the best accounts and they, they keep knocking them away. And they even say, look, we're a parody account. 
And, and Sorry, what's what, what's that? I, I don't know. The, the parody accounts are like there was there's one by Maxine Waters, who's one of our dumbest politicians, which which puts her in the the stratosphere of stupidity. <laughs> and 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 uh, do you do you know the politician? The guy. This is how stupid our politicians are. There's a guy named Hank Johnson who literally expressed to a general in a congressional hearing that he was worried that 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 the population of Guam is growing so quickly that it is going to capsize. No. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. There's a compendium, Hank Johnson. There's compendia of Hank Johnson quotes. And and so so uh so there was a Maxine Waters parody account and they they didn't identify as Mac as a parody account. But 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 it was the person couldn't make it outrageous enough to not suck people in. Wow. Because it's a cheap show. This, this account would show, say stupid things, and you go, that's Maxine Waters. And they go, no. And people say, no, I think it's a parody account. And they go, no way. That's what she would say. <laughs> it's all the difference. And, that's and so, so now they're knocking out the accounts, even, even the ones that say they're parody accounts. And that's yeah. a shame. Some of the funniest people could run parody accounts, and that would be fantastic. Um, people keep asking to get rid of Trump. I go, are you kidding me? Trump is the greatest thing to ever hit Twitter. Oh well, we, we, I, I I doubt whether Twitter would still be here without Trump. Oh my God, yes, he turned Twitter into the most important news outlet in the world, and so I yeah. So no, I I think Jack is actually trying to get it right, although he's a lefty and he's booting right wingers. So I think he's I think he's he's not even handed. Um, but I I don't get the sense he's a bad guy, um, and I'm not just Jack actually follows me. So Rudy Havenstein, which we all know is the funniest guy on Twitter. Period. Abs- 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 absolutely, a- absolutely. Rudy Havenstein is so guy. I remember one day where it was just it just the stuff he says. You go, holy moly! Where's like he says he says he says it's not even real. It's like the Loch Ness monster or North Dakota. And I'm going, where? How do you how do you come up with that crazy stuff, right? But but I don't even know where I'm going with that. But Rudy's the best. And I've tried to get Rudy to do interviews and stuff, and I can't talk him into it. Uh, I had a long talk with Grant Williams, and Grant Grant tried to get him, and I tried to get him for Grant. And and uh, and uh, my theory is that Rudy's tweeting from inside prison, and uh, <laughs> and 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 he hasn't denied it yet. And, uh, and you know, do you know that book about where the Oxford Dictionary came from? Oh so, yes, yes, it's the, the prisoner the, of something. Yeah. Crowthorn or something. The biggest contributor to the they they crowdsourced it, and the biggest contributor was inside a loony bin that yeah. he had zinc lined floors so that the creatures of the night couldn't come up to the floorboards and have their way with them. It's the surgeon of it's the the book is called the surgeon of Crowthorn. And I know this because my no, my there's better, another my, one. It's, it's something like the, the the man and the there's another there's a newer version. Oh, okay. That, and and I can't remember what it is, but it's it's, it's the making of the Oxford for dictionary. No, 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 this is well. This is what it was called in in, in the England, and it's a, it's a, it's about it's, as you say the the largest single contributor to the OED, and he did it did it from jail because I, I know because my my partner bought it for me for uh, for a birthday a few years ago. Well, he did it from an asylum. He did it from an asylum. I'm looking it up right now. He did it from an asylum, making making the. Let me see if I can find it. I read it, so. Yeah. Dr. Dr. W.C. Minor, a retired U.S. Army surgeon who is imprisoned in Broadmoor, which is our most notorious uh, lunatic asylum. Yeah, the professor and the madman. Yeah. 
Do you, does it bother you that you do you ever read a book and you don't remember if you read it? <laughs> this is what I remember reading. By the way, here's two books for your readers. You want two books that'll drive you nuts. They're not hyperbolic. They're fabulous sort of looks at this societal rot. Number one is called uh, Coming Apart. Oh, by, Charles Murray. By Charles ahead. Murray. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And, and and it was recommended to us. What caught my eyes when Druckenmiller said, I, I read it and it scared the hell out of me. The second one that has got me climbing the walls is Jonah Goldberg's um, Suicide of the West. And he does a beautiful job of show, of laying out the, the what, what led to the great American experiment and what is now happening. And it's so scary. He talks about the administrative state just swallowing us. And, it's and he's not hyperbolic about it. So it's, it's really thoughtful. He talks about Rousseau and Locke and all these guys and, 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 and how, where the foundations all came from and stuff. It's fed, those two books dug right into my soul. Stan's the man, isn't he? Stan is the man. He, he is the most successful of them all, actually, I think. Really? He did, what, he more did, than Soros? He, he did 30% a year compounded for 34 years. Wow. That's, uh, yeah, that's, that's just phenomenal. That fills the known universe with money. <laughs> well, you know, you know he's going to make money when everything's going down, and you know Warren Buffett isn't, and that's, that's where I no, think no, it's interesting. I, I get the sense that Buffett's already a busted flush, don't you, Dave? Absolutely. He's a hosebag. Um He's um he's a he's a mafia don who walks around in a bathrobe trying to pretend like he's innocent and uh and and he's he's now I think he's fairly closet indexing he uh he's doing too much media crap and not not you know of course if I'm his age why do I care about making money but then he just went out the other day so I went out the other day and said oh the audacity all the billionaires are getting scared. This is how you know there's a problem coming. So Buffett goes out there and says, "Doubling my worth wouldn't make me any happier." And I'm and and everyone's looking at him, going, "Whatever made you say that? How, how do you think that's relevant to the person sitting around the kitchen table trying to figure out how to pay the heating bill?" Yeah. And he's talking about how doubling your net worth won't make you happier. And I'm going. Now I had this realization: the guy who's sitting around the table, can't pay the heating bill, doubling their net worth makes them more broke because they're in the red. <laughs> <laughs> you can't multiply a negative number and come out okay. Well, it, remi um, it reminds me, somebody said something about the guys at Davos, which is a bunch of billionaires telling a bunch of millionaires how to behave. Right, and then you got Ray Dalio telling us, I think Ray Dalio's not that good, but he knows how to trade. So, so it'd be like, you know, if David Tepper comes out and starts telling us big, deeply philosophical things, I'm going to projectile vomit. He should just do what he does brilliantly, and that's trade. And 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 the, but the billionaires are nervous. Grant one time told me he was sitting with a bunch of billion, but bunch of hedge fund managers. Every single one of them has a bug out plan. I go, what do you mean? He says they can make a phone call and it will kick into gear all everything it takes to get them offshore in a matter of hours. Wow. They're all scared or rich enough to to afford to be defensive, you know, tail risk hedging, I guess you call that. You know, in terms of sort of the stars are aligning for a a what I call the mother of all corrections. You got the quantum fund that was run by um, by Jim Rogers and George Soros. And right. Obviously, they run their own funds and 
uh, <clears throat> separately, you've got Jim Rogers buying gold and saying that, you know, we're not far away. You've got Soros, who's basically, he doesn't say much about the markets anymore, but he is, he has been talking about the super he, does, he just, just funds all kinds of really odd, dubious um, political causes now. Well, what, whatever he does, I you know, I don't look at the political stuff that he does. I just look at his track history and... And 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 so uh, and the the other thing is that um so so I read the book The Four by Scott Galloway and I thought it's going to be a tell all but he's clearly enamored with these tech companies and, and what you notice is that none of them have any substance so so he he describes Apple like Cartier watches and yeah. he says they're they're building an elite brand and I go elite brands don't have trillion dollar market caps especially when you can build. The equivalent. I mean, it's it's like you can build the equivalent phone, a better phone, for cheaper. You get it from somewhere else. And, you know, people would, would just, like, go, look, this is something you carry around with you every day. You know, you can accidentally drop and break. And why why would you want to spend so much money on something that you could effectively lose one night on a big night out? You know, it's just it's just not worth it. And unless you've got stupid amounts of money, fair enough, if that's what you want to do. But it, it's like, in order to drive these trends, it's got to be driven by, basically by the kids, you know, it's going to be driven by the youngsters who have the money, who've set the trends, who say, you know, you've got to have this sort of phone or that sort of phone or whatever it might be. And I just think they, A, they don't have the money, B, the parents won't give them the money to buy these expensive phones anyway, because they're going to lose them. And it, it, if that's if that's their main business, then they're going to be in trouble. And I think most people are also try. There's this sort of trend among the young to 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 sort of back off technology as well. There's I think it's gone through this saturation point where you know we've got back to vinyl, where people just want to be able to hold something and not listen to something on iTunes. They want to actually look at the album cover and enjoy the tangible element of a of a book or 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 of, of a record or something like that. And and I think there's going to be more of that. So I think there's going to be more rejection of technology, um, despite its uses. Uh, you know, it it just seems to me like it could be a trend. And on top of that, you know, let's face it: these cash-rich technology companies, poor governments are going to be looking at them and thinking that's a very tasty little tax, you know, bite I can take out of it, and they're going to do it. Well, the other thing they're going to get hit with, and it's starting to show up. Um, two two things. One is the, the antitrust world is going to start to come in, and and I think the Europe's going to do it more than the U.S. because I think we have a more of a reluctance to go antitrust. And then and then the other thing is there's going to be some Supreme Court decisions I think in the U.S. where um, where I, I'm sure the Supreme Court has already got firepower working on the question of how much these companies can exclude people from their platforms and stuff like that. But there could be a, some real sort of rebellion out there, in my opinion. I, I just, I, you're right. And the other thing is, is, is really Facebook a replacement for U.S. Steel and, and Netflix exactly. a replacement? Uh, Netflix exactly. a replacement for, 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 for Ford Motor or General exactly. Motors, right? They're not making anything. Exactly. They're making, I, and Apple's not, Apple, what, Apple's making telephones. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And people say, right. oh, they're phenomenal, but they're phenomenal. I go, yeah, but the fact of the matter is a family of four can't put $4,000 worth of telephones in their family's pocket. Did it doesn't you... matter how good it is. It could be a goddamn Mona Lisa. I can't afford four Mona Lisas. 
there was a story about this this uh, Asian woman who had like she got like ten of her boyfriends to buy her a, an iPhone and then sold it and then bought an apartment with it. It was like crazy, um, and, that, and it made me stop and think about how expensive they are to be able to do. And that. They're raising the prices too. So in yeah. a world where prices always come down, Apple's raising them. Seems like a desperation move to me. Yes, yes. Well, we've got we had a guest on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but his name's Dominic Frisbee. Very smart. He's a he's a comedian, but he's also involved in the financial world, and he was one of the first people to pick up on the Bitcoin trend back in 2014. He's written a fantastic book called Bitcoin, the Future of Money. And we, and uh, he get very interesting podcast uh, that, that with him. It was very, very interesting indeed. But he is now looking at something that one of our, one of our uh, listeners had put me on to, which is he's looking into the world of privacy as being the next big thing. Oh, huge. And and I think you know he he's been he's been right about so many things. I think you one has to sit up and take note of that. Actually, there's a there's a program on uh, the BBC called Click, which is like the future of technology. And I always watch it because it gives me lots of ideas. But one of the things they were talking about was like basically privacy and 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 uh, how much of our data we give away, and the fact that we are the product actually. You know, we we don't realize that we're actually the product. We, we've been, you know, you've got a Gmail account. Well, basically our emails are being read by bots and then things are being sold to us. And what we think of as free, well, all our locations, you know, are, are being monitored so they know where we're going and they know what to sell us. They know what we want to buy. This is all, this is, this is where all the value is. This is why, um, you know, this is why they give this stuff to you for nothing. And so, um, so, so really, we we if we don't want that to be shared, and you might say, well, I've got nothing to hide. Then why 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 not let them get on with it? But and you said at the top of the show, you know, if you you can have your internet uh, history searched and looked at and judged, and why should that be the case? Well, you know, I have to now my driver's license to travel domestically now has to have some chip in my driver's license. It's no longer acceptable to just use a driver's license. When was the last time someone got on a plane in the United States on a domestic flight that, that caused any trouble, right? I mean, what, what is this all about? Yeah. And, and, and so and it's not just that they know everything about me. It, what, what, about, what about if you get closed out of the system, right? So, so here, here's what, here, here it is on the geopolitical scale, right? We try to squeeze the Russians out of the SWIFT check clearing system, right? For those who are not paying attention, the SWIFT check clearing system is the global system in which all transactions clear through, right? And 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 we try to squeeze the Russians out. Well, the Russians and the Chinese are trying to get independent of it now, right? That's a big, big play they're doing there. But, but, but you know, that's an active war to me, right? Trying to squeeze a country out of the SWIFT check clearing system is yeah. an active war. And trying to squeeze me off of social media, off of Facebook, off of Twitter, means that you're taking away my free speech. You say, well, it's a private company. I go, okay, then uh, let's not let women on it then. Let's see how that flies. Let's not let blacks on it. Let's see how that flies. And the answer, oh, that we can't do, right? And and so, so the point being is, is that uh, we communicate through the digital world now, and they have the power to shut us down. You want to watch it in action? You just watch them like Milo Yiannopoulos. 
I understand why people think he's repugnant, but he is now excluded. And and can he get his voice back? I don't think so. So he's no longer allowed to participate in the chat. I call Twitter the cocktail party. So our metaphors are very, very similar. I say it's a big cocktail party. You walk in, start talking to people. Half of them are shit faced, right? They're 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 uh, they're uh, and 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 you you chat about whatever's the topic of the day. I think the thing about Twitter though is that you can you can speak to somebody and it's not. Um... How can I put it? You, you you can't be if if I want to follow you or you want to follow Tim or whatever, um, you can do that. But the thing with posting on Facebook, even if you've got friends, if you've got business and people that 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 follow you, even though you post, they don't those people don't necessarily see what you've posted. And that's kind of that doesn't make any sense to me. That's why I think Tim was right to get off Facebook, because you know, if you've built up your following and then all of a sudden you can't post to them because they want money for those postings. In other words, they you know, want advertising dollars before you can actually post to your own, you know, the, the people that are, are actually following you in the first place. Um, you know, I accept going outside your own network, fair enough, but, you know, not, not people not being able to see your own post because they've decided that, that they don't want to show it to them. I mean, that is a level of control that, like, who who's decided that you know I, I think no nobody really signed up for that in the first place um and i guess that's why um that's why the, the numbers are starting to dwindle well some someone told someone told me yesterday i think it was that that their account had muted me and he was convinced that twitter muted me oh. and i think he probably just suffered an electronic glitch. Now you can unfollow someone in a heartbeat because mm-hmm. you're scrolling along and all of a sudden your finger twitches. The next thing you know, you click the unfollow button, but, but to mute, you have to intentionally mute, I think. And, and, and I had been muted and he didn't know why I wasn't seeing my stuff. And he was convinced that Jack had unmuted me, Jack, you know, like, Jack has, <laughs> like Jack doesn't have better things to do. Um, but, 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 but the, but the Point, the point is there are supposedly silent bannings like this guy, uh, Scott Adams from of Dilbert fame, um, c- claimed to have undeniably determined that he had been um, he had been muted and that his Twitter followers were not seeing his tweets. And, and this is the stuff that I think is going to hit the Supreme Court. I mm. think that I think they're going to rule you can't do that. Yeah, And I, I think they're probably so struggling to figure out this whole complex world of social media that instead of rushing some major decisions out there, they're probably saying, look, let's let this play out for a while. We've got our clerks plowing through law books trying to understand what the hell to do with this. But I think there'll be some major, major decisions made in the next few years that say um, you can or cannot do this because Twitter's a private company, but it's it's the public square. And then the question is, like, you know, a public company can can uh, can uh, can Ford Motor decide not to sell you a car because they don't like you. Yeah. And I bet the answer is no. I bet you reach some point where that's considered unacceptable. Yeah, I, I have quite a contentious view that uh, I think that Google will be owned by the U.S. government at some point. I think they've, they've become too powerful, and I just can't see it continuing. Really, I mean, it's. Just well, I like, think they are. I think they already are. Yeah. So, so I, th- I think I think the way Google stays alive and Facebook stays alive is that they do 
they they do what they're told. Yeah. And, and so I think Google and Facebook and these companies are very careful to make sure that the various intelligence agencies and the various very powerful sort of shadow government agencies can, they make sure they don't piss them off. Yeah. And then Facebook, supposedly the angel investor in Facebook was the CIA. I'd heard that somewhere. I didn't know whether. Well, I don't know, you know if it's true or not. Right. Yeah. That's a, you know, it's, it's called a conspiracy theory. And I go, well, yeah, that's because we're, we're, we're theorizing that they conspired um, yeah. I'll wear that 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 badge of honor, and um, and and so then the question is is uh, how much how much do the the sovereign uh, intelligence agencies, which by the way are working extra legally already, right? I mean, it's not like the CIA really gives a damn about our laws. Um, they're already sort of deep up into their butts and social media and using it. I by the way, Tim, you ever notice? Um, um, on Twitter, you ever notice you get attacked by people and then you look and the, the, the attackers always have the same profile? So I think they're using AI. I think they're testing AI on Twitter. So, so I'll be tweeting along and some guy will make a snotty comment. And it'll be kind of a non sequitur. And you go, well, what, what the hell are you talking? What is that all about? So you look at the guy's profile and what you find out is the account's got very little activity. It's a couple of months old. It's not a real person. And 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 so for some reason, I don't love feeling. I think they're testing um, AI, and it's a simple metric. The, the longer they can keep you fighting with the person who threw out a zinger at you, the, the better the AI. Right. right. So I think they're testing their algorithms by picking fights on social media. So whenever someone throws a zinger at me out of left field, the first thing I do is check. And usually the account's three or four months old. That's it. And they say also that the, in order to keep you sort of addicted and hooked onto social media, you the best way to do that is to have an argument. Like instead of writing something positive, you know, that you get more reaction from a negative comment that's likely to start a kind of Twitter fight and and that's that's what keeps you engaged with responding um so that that's something that could be part of the plan to keep you on there as well yeah well i've been fighting with some people i'm not joking about this milkshake thing you guys paying attention to the milkshake stuff we've got plenty of it here we've got plenty of it going on here yeah 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 i i find that appalling i mean i find it truly extraordinary and I put out a Twitter poll, I got 2,500 answers. It gives you an idea that it's a pretty popular question. And, and, and the question I ask is, are you morally okay, right? I didn't want to go near legal because no one's a lawyer. I said, are you morally okay if someone throws a milkshake on you to throw a punch back? And, and it was about, and I asked people to identify yes or no. And I asked people to, to identify male or female. And the most staggering result was my Twitter feed is, or at least those who answered the question were, were about 6% female. That tells you something about Twitter. Mm. And, and then the other thing is out of these 2,500, it was about 80% hell yes, throw the punch and 20% no, but it caused some fights. And I had guys saying, you know, why do you think you should throw a punch? I said, well, well the guy's a douchebag for starters. But in, and, I, think in, I think in English law, it's, it's also common assault. So it's quite a serious thing. So you may have seen that Nigel Farage. Uh, yeah, I did. Oh, absolutely. Shot, 
And Tommy Robinson got back, right? And I think I think Nigel Fry's pressed charges. And bluntly, the guy should the guy should get a, a one month sentence for that because that's that's the precedent from previous uh, occurrences. But the pro the problem is is that oftentimes it's a hit and run. Mm. Well, this guy I, they, they got they got him banged right, so they you know they they felt his collar as soon as it happens. It's all on it's all on camera, so. Right, but all I know is if some guy does it to me, I got a split second to decide. Yeah. And and my natural instinct would be to just beat the crap out of him. And 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 the question is is how, what do people think? Forget about the legality. Morally, is is throwing a, a haymaker into the guy's chops sound or not? Who throws a milkshake on you because they disagree with your politics? And it came out to about eighty percent yes and twenty percent spineless bastards. <laughs> I, I mean, it's as good as throwing a punch, isn't it? If somebody throws a yeah. milkshake at you, I mean, it, well, people said it's only a milkshake, and, and I, I say, know. I hope you get a couple of dozen of those, you piece of crap. Yeah, and I, of course, I, I had my dean chime in and say it's never okay to throw a punch, and I just let that one go by. Right, I'm not stupid, but it, but it's it is okay to throw a punch. One time when my kids were, when my kids was young and 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 I I told the kid I said his friend was being picked on. I said, well, if you have to and and you you know you're right, jump in. And my wife says, well, you never use violence. I said, hell yes, you do. You beat the crap out of bullies. That's how you you know we have a bullying problem because we're no longer allowed to beat the crap out of bullies. There'd be a lot less bullies if if by bullying you got the tar beat out of you occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I, I you know the modern era you can't punch a person. There was a kid in the U.S. who was getting bullied. He was blind. He was oh, getting nice. bullied, and a football player laid out the, the bully. And he got kicked off the football team. I'm going, fire every single goddamn administrator in that school. Wow. Get him out of there. I don't want him teaching my kid. Yeah. Right? That football player would, would win a Nobel Prize out of my sorry ass. Yeah. <laughs> media I'm, picks. Media pick time. I, I, just, okay. before we, just, before, just before we go to media picks, because um, have you heard of deep fake? Do you know what deep fake is? No, God, you guys, I got to talk to you, the, the guys across the pond more. This is, you're totally rattling my cage here. Tim, do you know what deep fake is? No, no, no. Well, that's your, this, that's, this, this, Tim, that's your wife on a date with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, deep fake is, is something that we should all be more aware of. And it's basically, you could take a Trump video. Oh, I know we, this. Yeah, and yes. you can create a video of the person saying anything you want. Anything you want, exactly. Oh, anything. scary as hell, right? And that is, that, is a, that is a big problem. That is yeah, we're going to see videos of Putin saying he's going to bomb us. Exactly, and stuff like that. And when when you get things like that, you know, it's it's that is properly dangerous. I don't know how they're going to deal with it either. I um, don't either. Well, they're I mean, going to bomb them. Well, I mean, <laughs> look, you, 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 there there is the kind of entertainment side of it, you know, saying stupid things. Oh, or not at it might all. Be. Not at but all. There, yeah. well, there is some of that which is which is okay. But there's the, but the 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 deeper problems are look somebody could use it and the, the other problem is that um there, there's a there's a website i think it's called liarbird uh liarbird dot something i can't remember exactly what it is but if you speak into it it will learn how you speak and then it will speak back to you and then you can basically so i you, you could sort of sample what somebody said and then have them say whatever you want now i think that is in the world of hollywood you know it's 
amazing if you're trying to make a you know a new version of Blade Runner. But in right. the real world, this it's it's a oh, little, it's horrifying. It's, it's horrifying. horrifying. It's really scary. And uh, you know, and and so the fact that we, the only thing that we could trust is seeing somebody live and on what they're saying or, or live inverted commas via the internet. But what if we can't trust that either? I mean, that's like how are we gonna how are we gonna like know whether anything's right or wrong? It's crazy. It's the, ma it's the matrix now. It, the matrix metaphor is getting very real. It is, isn't it? And that seemed so crazy so long ago. But wow, I really know. Is. The other yeah. one is there's a movie called Enemy of the State where Will Smith gets a gets some something. Some guy slips into his his shopping bag that turns out to be some sort of Edward Snowden moment where the guy has a hard drive and he he's running from the authorities and he he slips in Will Smith's shopping bag and Will Smith spends the rest of the movie trying to evade the deep state chasing him yeah. and it's very futuristic and now you're going holy cow that isn't even clever anymore yeah yeah exactly exactly well. So that's a perfect segue, Tim, into media picks. So what? what yeah, did... that, should, I, should I kick off? Yeah, yeah, please. Fire. So, so, so I'll, I'll go with two then. So the, uh, well, I'll go with three or maybe four, five, six or seven, depending on your tolerance. <laughs> um, so immediately picking up on Enemy of the State, uh, I happened to catch uh, a film called The Conversation uh, during the week, which was on one of the, the cable channels. And it's uh, a great uh, conspiracy theory thing from Francis Ford Coppola from the seventies with yeah. uh, uh, Gene Hackman, but that's just like that's the seventies version of Enemy of the State. But it's 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 a cracking film. Uh, it's a slow film, but you know you have to bear in mind when it was made. The uh, in my defence, my ongoing defence of Twitter, um, it would be the following anecdote, and I apologise for people who've heard this one before. So I was on Twitter a year ago plus. And uh, it, it was a Saturday night. It would be fair to say I'd had maybe a glass of wine and I was sort of <laughs> mooching around Twitter. And some guy who was American and it wasn't Dave basically was saying, cool, that Winston Churchill could knock back a, a drink or two, couldn't he? And without doing any without doing any research or anything like that, I just waded in and said, yes. But on the other hand, when we were sort of fighting for a war of national survival with no allies, we know he, he, he sort of pulled us through until you guys helped us uh, in the war. And then he immediately said, no, 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 don't, don't, don't take me out of context. He wasn't, in other words, he wasn't being harsh. He was simply saying Winston Churchill could drink enough of an evening to sink a battleship. And he wasn't wrong. Anyhow, right. the, the thing he was citing was, a, was a, actually a three-volume biography called The Last Lion. And The Last Lion is by William Manchester and Paul Reed. I don't read much biography, but I read this on the back of this, 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 this conversation. And it's, in, for my money, so far, the finest uh, historical political biography I've ever read. And I went back, it's called The Last Lion, and I went back to the guy about a year later when I'd finally finished, because it's like a beast, it's a beast of a book. It's three volumes, God knows how many thousand pages. Um, but I went back to the guy and said, by the way, just to let you know, thank you for that recommendation, because it was absolutely superb. And then within about an hour, Paul Reed who wrote the third volume, said, I'm glad you like the book. On no other platform that I'm aware of can you have that kind of getting from zero to 100 miles an hour in the course of just an evening, just casually mooching around. That is the value of Twitter. Yeah. Education source and networking device. So that's Okay, so, so here's my two funny stories. One is I was having trouble with a spam filter, and Brendan Ike is helping me. 
Now, now he's telling me we spam filter. He's Brendan Ike founded Mozilla and founded Firefox and wrote JavaScript. And then he starts telling me I should use the browser Brave. And I look up and it was says, oh, Brave's great. And I look and he founded that. Then the other funny story was Steve Sanofsky. I happen to know as an undergrad and I can't get my Outlook uh, email to work. And I, I'm having him help me troubleshoot. He was second in command at Microsoft behind Steve Ballmer. <laughs> so, so, so I'm getting I'm getting online help from the former president of Microsoft on how to pull off an email. Now, that's a commitment to customer service that, frankly, is going beyond the call of duty. Well, the other thing is I bitched at him and I said, you know, I said, they move the menu items again, Steve. I said, I said, it's like moving, uh, it's like moving uh, uh, Helen Keller's furniture around her apartment. And, uh, and, and, and he says, uh, he says, uh, he says, I thought we locked it down in 07. I'm totally lost myself. Brilliant. And my last, my last one, I'm just going to get in, just to squeak it in, is, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but it, I don't really care. Um, it's Vice. So I've been waiting for Vice to come Oh, out. yeah. It looks brilliant. Vice. Christian Bale, Amy Adams, Steve Carell, Sam Rockwell. Oh, I have to me. admit, I didn't really know much about Cheney because uh, for precisely all the reasons why the film works, because he was this sort of ominous grease sort of floating around in the ether behind the scenes. But it's... How to describe it, um, with the exception of a, a, a very last sort of segment where he breaks the fourth wall and, and that, that sequence is somewhat redundant. Outside that, it's just terrifically enjoyable. Oh, I gotta it's watch extreme, it it's extremely funny, extremely cynical, and frankly, Adam McKay needs no introduction for anyone that knows his films. Uh, notably, The Big Short will have been the, the, the most recent one that people know, but he also, I think, did Anchorman. So he's he's got a he's got a you know he's got a history for both. I think I called it in a recent commentary. I think I called it something like a econo gonzoid humor or something. But it's just it's just cracking entertainment. It's black. It's deeply deeply sort of blackly satirical. But welcome to politics in in the in the twenty first century. I think Christian Bale actually put on weight for that role. Uh, yeah, well, well, Christian Christian Bale's amazing because I mean I think this is the same Christian Bale that basically. Sort of lost weight down to like a feather in the yes. machinist, and it's yeah, the same yeah, he moves his weight now. around like crazy to exactly, play exactly, and that's commitment. So yeah, you know, but so I, I, I am a Bale fan, but Vice, I just it's it for me, it's just one of the films of the year. Well, I'm, I'm just going to go quickly with uh, with Black Mirror because we've talked about it and I love it, and so just a reminder that that is like one of my favorite things ever on Netflix. So I'll go with that. Um, Dave, what, what have you, have you what have you got? Have you got something for us? Oh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I, I do about 25 books a year and I gave you a couple, which are as yes. good as any I've got, but um, yeah, we can and, have and those if you like. Uh, um, if you haven't read Da Vinci, um, it's every bit as good as Steve Jobs biography and it's by, uh, what's his face? Uh, um, I think it's McCullough, not McCullough, um, Isaacson. And the other one, Isaacson, I think it was Isaacson who did, uh, there's a great biography on Isaac Newton and and that's fabulous um there let me give you a, a bigger plug there's a, a company called the teaching company that does audiobooks 
and they're trimester length books and they they get great lectures and and it's you know history of ancient greece and and history of science and economics and all sorts of stuff and and they're really very careful about who they get and what formats they pick and it's not pc crap or anything like that and um and so the the teaching company i'm going to give a plug to for anyone who has audiophilia um it's it's fantastic is this the great courses yes exactly exactly and uh actually in a book i I went through the other day um at the end of the book the woman heather mcdonald who's a really really rogue uh super right winger um she she went through about 20 minute dissertation on the teaching company's books and and how phenomenal this this is free market this is the free market choosing subject matter and so, um, so I'd give them a plug. Excellent. Now, Dave, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of our listeners who want to get in contact with you or follow you um, on Twitter. Uh, <coughs> if they're not on Twitter, is there a way for them to do it? And if they are, what's your handle? Well, they can always send me an email. And since I'm in the chemistry department at Cornell, um, (laughs) um, if if you can't find me, you're not smart enough to, to, to chat. Um, but, um, but the other thing is, um, I don't have any other, I don't have a web page or anything. Um, you know, I published the year in review at peak prosperity, um, that comes out every December and, and that's a real projectile vomit for me. It's about 150 pages. And, uh, and then uh, on Twitter, it's, it's David B. Column. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm sure when it comes around again, Tim will be sharing links to your year in review. So we'll look forward to that. And uh, just to say, look, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving up your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been so interesting. I have to say, it makes me want to go out and buy some gold. What do you think, Tim? Um, I, I already earned so much gold, I can't actually walk in a straight line. But, um, the, the, you know, basically... As, as, as Dave said earlier, if you're going to have some, have 18 times as much. I mean, yeah. it's, the gift, it's, the gift that keeps, it's the gift that keeps giving. Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you once again. And thank you to all our listeners. We really appreciate your support. And uh, thanks again. And we'll catch you next time. You bet. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.